0: Chapter Nine of Grace Harlowe's Golden Summer by Jessie Gray and Flower. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Nine: The Meaning of Semper Fidelis. Father Time has an unfortunate habit of scudding along at a tremendously rapid pace over the delightful roads of life. It is only when the ways are rough and stony that he is prone to lag and linger. To the reunionists, the prospect of a week spent together had offered limitless possibilities. Once that coveted period of time had become theirs, it proceeded to vanish in an alarming fashion. On Monday they had congratulated themselves and one another that six glorious days were still theirs. By Wednesday they had begun to mourn that only four were left them life at the Briggses' cottage offered a ceaseless succession of wholesome pleasures early morning invariably found the reunionists strengthening their acquaintance with the ocean breakfast over a bathing suit procession to the nearby beach became the usual order of things they spent long sunny hours playing about in the surf, or stretched at ease on the white sand, exchanging an apparently exhaustless flow of light-hearted conversation relating to almost everything under the sun. Imbued with tireless energy, their afternoons brought them fresh entertainment in the way of long automobile rides to various points of interest, followed by jolly little teas or dinners along the way. The annual excursion to Picnic Hollow, which claimed the greater part of a whole day, was also a memorable occasion. Evening, however, usually overtook them at the cottage. By common consent they tabooed the most formal social entertainment which the various hostelries at Wildwood offered. Only on one occasion did they diverge from their clannish programme in order to attend an informal hop given by Elfreda's friend, Madge Morton, at her father's cottage. During their stay at the Briggses' cottage the previous summer, they had been given the opportunity of meeting this charming young girl. Shortly after their arrival, she had come over from the Morton cottage to pay them a friendly call. Greatly attracted to her on first meeting, they had greeted her warmly and invited her to share their good times. Madge and Grace had a bond in common in that while Grace was preparing to be married to Tom Gray, Madge was trying to decide whether or not she should pledge herself to marry Tom Curtis. Before the week ended, she had confided her problem to Grace, and the two girls discussed the subject long and earnestly. Yet, despite such friendly counsel as Grace felt privileged to give, Madge could come to no definite decision. Though five days of smiling sunshine had added immeasurably to the welfare of the devoted company, Saturday morning dawned grey and threatening. Before breakfast was over, the ominous prediction of the storm was fulfilled. Amid reverberating peals of thunder, heavy raindrops began to fall. They were merely the prelude to a furious downpour which descended in silvery sheets and fairly overflowed the discouraged landscape. A strong wind rose lashing the leaden expanse of sea into a white-capped fury quite foreign to its hitherto deceitfully dimpled aspect. "'It's a horrible day,' conceded Elfreda Briggs gloomily. "'We can't do any of the things we've planned.' No bathing, no motor trip, either, unless this deluge stops, which doesn't seem likely. "'Oh, it may clear up,' comforted Emma Dean. "'I've seen worse days than this suddenly brace up and smile. "'Let's possess our soul's in patience. "'Incidental to the process, we might restore the shattered faith of some of our deluded correspondents.' During the past six days it has pained me to observe the postman arrive full-handed, to turn away, alas, empty-handed. I ask you as man to man, why this thusness? Now that we are about to depart, it might be well to apprise our neglected families of the fact. What's the use in writing home now? demanded Julia Emerson. Sarah and I would get there almost as soon as our letters. We have to go tomorrow, you know. I know. Emma held her handkerchief ostentatiously to her eyes. Never mind. You may write to me. You know I've always admired your nice vertical handwriting. It takes me back to my first reader days. Sorry I can't oblige you, giggled Julia, but I'm not in the mood for letter-writing. I'm going to pack my trunk and send it to the station before Sarah has a chance to stuff half of her belongings in it. "'Such sisterly devotion,' murmured Emma. "'Oh, I don't mind,' was Sarah's cheerful comment. "'I've already packed my sweater and two dresses in Julia's trunk. "'You'd better leave them there, Julia. "'I haven't an inch of room left in my trunk to squeeze them into. "'It is already jammed so full that you'll have to sit on the lid "'when I get ready to lock it.' "'Stung!' was Julia's inelegant comment. "'This is what comes of being a twin.' I think I'd better hurry up and gobble up the small trunk space that is left me otherwise I may have to carry a large part of my wardrobe home in a bundle dread of such a contingency sent her fleeing up the stairs in hot pursuit of her own welfare oblivious to the pleasantries which Emma and Sarah called after her as she ran seated around the long library table in the living room the correspondence party made an attractive picture as with earnest faces they bent themselves to the arduous task of letter-writing with the exception of grace all present were soon hard at work one hand resting lightly on a sheet of the monogrammed paper which elfreda had provided in profusion with her other hand grace nervously gripped her fountain pen "'Should she, or should she not, write to Tom?' "'Although she owed the usual amount of letters to various correspondents, "'she now thought only of writing to the man for whose strange silence she could not account. "'It was Tom's place to write her. "'She had answered his first letter, "'yet she could not believe that carelessness was responsible for his silence. "'Something must have happened to him. "'But what?' she knitted her brows in an agony of indecision then giving her pen an energetic shake that betokened definite purpose she began dear tom it is now over a week since last i heard from you what the loud ring of the doorbell caused her to break off abruptly the sentence she had begun with that curious intuition which sometimes manifests itself unbidden she was seized with the startled conviction that the bell had conveyed the news of an arrival important to herself listening with an anxiety she could not yet understand she heard a man's deep tones raised in inquiry then came the lighter voice of the maid who had answered the door then miss harlowe the maid had entered the living room and addressed her "'There's a special delivery letter come for you. Will you please sign for it?' "'Thank you, Alice.' Grace sprang to her feet and hurried into the hall. The messenger handed her a letter and shoved his book toward her, indicating the place for her signature. Hastily signing and returning the book, Grace dismissed the man and sank to the oak settee in the hall, her heart thumping wildly.' She had already recognized the handwriting on the envelope, not as Tom's familiar flowing hand, but as a spidery, wavering script of Mrs. Gray. With trembling fingers she tore open the envelope and read, Dear Grace, have you heard from Tom? I am dreadfully worried. I have only received the one letter from him of which you already know. It is not in the least like him to thus put off writing me he knew before he went that i should be uneasy about him and promised faithfully to write me every other day for the sake of your anxious and bewildered fairy godmother will you come to me as soon as possible if you have not heard from him if so then telegraph me to the effect and i shall rest easier i have put off writing you from day to day in hope that i might receive news of my boy and also because i could not bear to spoil your pleasure but as it is now Friday, and you will receive this on Saturday, I know that if you have received no word from him, you will not mind coming home a day earlier than you had planned. Once we are together again, we can decide on some method of action. Thus far, I have done nothing. Believe me, my dear, only my great anxiety compels me to ask you to make this sacrifice. Yours lovingly, Rose Grey the letter sliding from her nerveless fingers, Grace saw her surroundings through a swirling mist. For a moment or two she yielded to the terror that clutched at her heart. Her sturdy nature reasserting itself, she rose, recovered the letter, and walked slowly into the living room. Girls, she said, her voice a trifle unsteady, I must leave you at once. I, Mrs. Gray needs me and has sent for me. I am sorry I can't tell you the reason. I am sure you will understand that I am giving you as much of my confidence as I can. She paused, her grey eyes looking utter affection on the startled group about the table. I want you to promise to finish the reunion just as happily as though I were with you. Later, perhaps, I can tell you what I mayn't tell you now. It is not yet eleven o'clock, so I am sure I can catch the noon express.' Grace's remarkable announcements drove the business of letter-writing to the winds. A bevy of sympathetic girls gathered about her, sending up a concerted lament. Yet none ventured to inquire into the cause of her departure, or to ask her to reconsider her decision to depart at once. Loyal to the core, her wish was the law. Each eagerly offered her services in behalf of the love they bore her torn though she was by the shock of this new sorrow grace could not help thinking as she stood there how gloriously worthy were these staunch comrades to bear the name semper fidelis End of chapter nine